Ephesians chapter 1. Going to be here for most of the service and then in uh, Psalm 19. Just want to let you in a little bit on some things that I'm working on. I've found great benefit in trying to plan out the next year's worth of series, things that I want to cover. So some of the things you can look forward to, um, we're going to talk a little bit about some introductory things on one of those topics tonight. But a lot of people have asked me online, they say, can you explain what a reprobate is? How do we, how do we get to that conclusion? Is that someone who could never be saved? Which leads into a very good discussion about human nature, the revelation of God, um, leads into a very di- good dis- uh, discussion on election. So we're going to be covering a lot of those things next year, but there's one part of this thing that we would discuss on what a reprobate is that I think we need to discuss. When I get to that full-fledged series next year, we'll kind of go over this again. But I thought it was a good spot tonight to do these things because our focus is not really on what is a reprobate in tonight's sermon. We're we're talking about God's universal revelation, and then we're also talking about his special revelation. Now, just so you can understand what I mean by those two things, God has revealed himself to the world. These things are evident. We should be able to see them. There should not be any barriers to them. His special revelation is how he works through his word. You've heard me say this time and time again, but it, it, it rings true. The word of God is very, very important. This is why I'm very picky about translations. Uh, not to say that uh, you know the KJV is double inspired in any way. I don't believe that. I think it was preserved. But when you do a study on a lot of these modern versions and the things that they change to attain copyright, you can come to a conclusion of why, why are we making those decisions? And if I'm the devil and I want to make sure that people are confused, I'm going to do the best I can to change what this says. That's why I, I, I really do believe it can be dangerous if we're not careful with what kind of Bible translation we're using. I told you about Bible translation, the first one when you get into uh, version, which is like the number one Bible reading app, is the NIV. There's also one that's been on there regularly called the Message Translation. You go read the Message Translation, and what they say Jesus said is like, it's, it's difficult to go, I don't think that's what he originally meant. But you find out that a lot of people have come to a conclusion that it doesn't really matter what God says, it's how we understand it. And I've been to a lot of Bible studies where it'll go like this. We'll read three passages, or uh, three verses in a passage. And then the leader of the Bible study will say, all right, we're going to go around, and I want you to tell me what that means to you. Now, it seems innocuous at the beginning. It doesn't seem, it seems innocent. But in my experience in those Bible studies, there's a lot of false interpretation that goes around. Because everybody starts to think, okay, what do I think that God says here when it should be? What is God saying here? And what happens is the Bible teacher, because he's kind of just a moderator in these situations, every time that someone's done, he goes, hmm, that's good. That's good insight. That's a good perspective. Well, you can have an improper perspective, amen? I've seen, as a matter of fact, it's kind of a running joke on the internet, internet right now. There's this guy who goes to college football stadiums and buys a full price seat that's completely blocked from the view. 
he'll like go to a stadium and he'll be right above the uh, suites overhang and the concrete block will be right in his face. <laughs> and he's like, my view from my fully priced seat. And all you see is a little bit of the sideline and a big concrete block. Well, he paid for a ticket. He does have a perspective to the action on the field, but can he see it? No, he has to kind of react to what he hears around it. Same kind of thing with that kind of Bible study. And the more that you get into that type of study, you don't let God's word speak for itself. You speak in its place. And that's how you get where we are today. And I, I, don't, I don't know if you've done this yet, but you go on social media. The only social media I have left that I'm connected to is YouTube. And we could do it right now. We could probably X out of the slide, go to YouTube and see how many churches are live streaming right now and see what is being taught in the Christian space. And a lot of it is interpretation. Interpretation without any kind of foundation on biblical truth. Everyone says, this is what God said to me. And then they read their opinion into the scripture. And that's not a good thing. But that's what most Bible study is today. I was counseling somebody and they said, well, I, I, want, a, you know, I want a devotional. What would you suggest as a devotional? I said, well, I'd start with the book of John and I would get active and I would circle every time the word believe is used, any tense of it, just circle it. You can do it in pencil if you're finicky about that, but just actively look for the word believe. Then read the book again and see how the word is used, what is being said to believe, who is being said um, about it. But instead what they did was they went to the YouVersion app and got a devotional on the book of John. And it was three weeks long, and the devotionals were about two minutes long. So they did six minutes of Bible study in three weeks. And when I met with them again, I said, how'd your study go? I said, well, it was really short. And I'm thinking, this person's probably gifted. They did a good job. No, they just allowed somebody else to do the studying for them. This is why I think it's really important that you just get in the Word and start underlining things, circling things. I'm not one to mark in my Bible because for me personally, if I mark it, it's going to distract me when I come back to it later. So I like to take notes in a Word document and file those things away, pull it up by keyword later. I use an online Bible software tool. It does not replace my real Bible, but it's a good way to categorize things. But I make sure that when I'm studying things, I'm trying to figure out the setting. Why is this being said? When the Holy Spirit used this author, what was his original purpose for the people he was writing to? And then I ask myself, is that applicable to today? And if the answer is no, then you have to ask why was this temporary for the time? If the answer is yes, it's still applicable, then now, now, now we have a doctrine. Now we have something that I can safely teach to somebody else because God said it first. Amen? Instead of me saying, oh, I had a meat lover's pizza the other night and God came to me in a vision. No, it's probably because you ate too much food. <laughs> but a lot of people do that. A lot of people have this special revelation. Well, God's special revelation is through his word. He has a universal revelation through creation itself. We're going to look at both of those today, and then we're going to look at man's rejection of both of those things. But if you're taking notes, I would tie Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23 to the entire 19th Psalm. We'll look at that in a minute, but tie those two things together because they build off of the, some of the same things. Now, you have to understand Paul, when Paul's writing... Okay, 
He's writing what God is telling him to write, but he's also writing with things he knows about. He's a very educated man. I think when Paul wrote here in in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, we're going to look at in a minute, I think he could recall the connection to Psalm 19. This is why I love Bible study, because the more of the word you know, the Holy Spirit is going to show you where things fit into place. When I was a kid, we played with Legos all the time. I did not really enjoy the creative side of Legos. Okay, I liked, here's the instructions. Do what the instructions say. The goal is to build what's on the box. You don't go outside of that. That's just how it was for me. My brother, Casey, on the other hand, he loved to just build wacky creations. You know, if I, if, if I had a Star Wars Lego set or something, if there was one brick that was the wrong color that wasn't in the right color palette, oh man, that would bother me. That, that, that's not right. That shouldn't be there. But Casey's like, let's put a tree on this. You know, it's just like all this different stuff. And I remember, he might still have this. I don't think he does. But he had a huge red box with all these different slots with all these Lego pieces. And he would love to just sit down at that thing, no instruction book, and just build something. And it would look like nothing, but to him it was just, wow, amazing. What I mean by all that illustration there is when you get the pieces of the puzzle from different parts in God's Word, it's not something that we just throw together and say, look at my creation. There, is, there are instructions. We put these things together to get a completed picture of what God is saying to us. But God has spoken, not outside of his word and that there's a higher authority, but there's a universal language that he has spoken in, and it's called creation. I, have, I, am, I count myself extremely blessed as a kid to be able to travel and to go to different places for a long period of time. One of the vacations we took was to Yellowstone. That really changed my life. You know, when you, you're here, right? I, I don't know how many of you... How many of you were born in Tampa? Anybody? All right, Johnny, I love you, brother. It's me and you, man. We're just suffering through it, you know? (laughs) But I was here my whole life, you know? And and we would do, like, stargazing every once in a while. We'd go to, like, Plant City where there's not a lot of light pollution. You see the shooting stars. It's amazing. But I remember being in Yellowstone National Park, and we were, I think it was Bryce Canyon was one of the places that we went. And I just remember looking at these... Mount these, you know, these canyons that look like those little dribble sand castles that I would build on the beach. You guys know what I'm talking about? You get that soft sand and you just let it, you know, to sit on top of each other. And it's like this little, looks like a big upside down ice cream cone. I'm looking at that in real life and I'm like, that's amazing. Looking at the Grand Canyon and going, grand is an understatement. <laughs> and just as a kid, I think I was about 12 years old when I went on that vacation. I remember I was like, this is beautiful. This is designed. God designed this with with intention and with purpose. One of the things that really struck me were the stars in a completely dark sky. Just, it was like somebody spilled glitter all over the sky. And you're looking up and you're like, man, innumerable. And you think about God's promise to Abraham. And how, how, how interesting it is. Remember, Abraham came from an extremely pagan culture. And God chose to communicate to him by the things that were clearly seen. Abraham did not go, 
what is a starry sky, God? I've never seen that. He knew what that was. Because God's already spoken through his creation. But I remember as a kid, that made an impact on me. It was like, how could anybody deny the existence of God? These things speak for themselves. Look in this passage here for just a moment. Revelations, excuse me, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 20 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So what's the statement here? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. This is what man possesses naturally. We're born into this world. We are spiritually separated from God. Our nature is, by definition in these verses here, ungodly and unrighteous. Paul later says in chapter 3 of Romans, there are none that do good at all. This kind of blows people's minds because we do have very good people. Some of you, most of you here tonight are good people. But in, in the standard of what God says is good, none of us are there. None of us can say, well, I'm as good as what God defines as good. Because what is that goodness in God's standard? It's perfect. It's without any sin, without any error. Not just you know, avoiding the things we shouldn't do, but also doing the things that we should do. But all men, we're all desperately wicked. All those things are against what God has said. Look at the last part of this verse here in verse 18. Who hold the truth, so they've, they've got the truth here, they're holding on to it, and they do it in a certain way, in unrighteousness. The possession of the truth, meaning man has the truth, note that, he's got it, but he holds it in unrighteousness. Why? Because that's his nature. Now you're going to see why this is important, because there's a group of, not a group of people, there's a way of thinking that somehow God has not been kind to man. That he's held man to a, a standard that's unattainable, that, that can't be done. Is that true? No. God has redeemed man to himself. He's made that available. But it's man that takes the truth of God, which is first revealed in what? Creation. And he holds that in unrighteousness. And you'll see that when we get towards the end of the message. But I want you to see that Paul's in the middle of a discussion here. But he says that, and then he says this in verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest. So here's the statement that he's saying here. The things that could be known of God, they are known. They're made manifest. You understand that word if you're in business. Um, a manifest report... Re excuse me, reveals what comes in in the shipment, all right? FedEx gets an order, somebody looks at the manifest, and they say there's 25 boxes of, jewel, of jewelry in here, but they just see the shipping container. There's no proof of that outside what the manifest report says. So the manifest report of God is, I exist. I am worthy of praise. You will submit to me. And man holds that truth, in unrighteousness, he twists it into evil to pursue his own satisfaction. Because that, verse 19, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So God said, here's, here's my existence. 
You've actually seen this Time magazine several years ago talked about this study of the God gene. Now I have to laugh at that, and I will, <laughs> because it's not something, you know, a, a, a gene that we have. We are created in His image, amen? Okay, the very fact that we are who we are is testimony to God being who He is. But what, what does man do? They twist that. What's the number one way that's twisted today? The theory, the theory, I want to focus on that again, the theory, unproven hypothesis of evolution. It's almost like teachers say, the theory of evolution. <laughs> they say the evolution part really loud, but not the fact that it's still an unproved hypothesis. By the way, you read the full title to Darwin's book, <gasps> he'd be canceled today. Yeah, that's right, because he had in his mind that there was a superior race. No. Yeah, go look up the whole... It's actually funny, if you Google it, it takes you a little longer to find that title than if you use something like DuckDuckGo or Bing. Hmm, I wonder. Anyway, definitely corporate agendas out there. But evolution says, no, no, there is no designer. This is all random chance. We just happen to be on the absolute only place in the universe that could support life. Don't ask how. It just is the miracle of science. And don't ask how. Our, our environment, the way that we function, and in the, in the, in the way that we even breathe air, don't worry about how that's a miracle in and of itself. It's just random. These things happened. And they think that adding millions of years is going to help people come to that conclusion. Okay, well, that is holding the truth. What's the truth? In the beginning, God created. Man held that truth, and he used it in unrighteousness. In the beginning, there was nothing, and then there was something. I'll tell you, I'm not that smart, but that don't sound right. I wish my bank account was that way. Sir, you had nothing in there. Now you have something. Amen? I'd like that. We, that doesn't even work. Can you imagine if you, swept, if you swiped your debit card with no balance, you just kept telling them, keep swiping. Something will be there. <laughs> you know? Nothing else works that way, but oh, when it comes to creation, that, that, that makes sense. And then the people who hold the truth of God in righteousness, that he is the creator, that the creation is responsible to the creator, they're the ones that are mocked and called unwise, very, I mean, I'm using nicer terms, there's a lot of these scientists who talk down to what God says is true. Wonder why that is. Because man is ungodly and unrighteous, that's why. But that doesn't change what God has made manifest. Look in verse 20. For, now remember, verse 19 says, the things that can be known are known. God hath showed it to us. Even more detail here. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. This is a style of writing. This is an oxymoron. The invisible things are clearly seen. What does that mean? The things that we did not see created, but we see the result of them, clearly testify to a higher power. That's what that means. Think about gravity. We don't see gravity, but we see the principle of it, right? And no matter what you believe, gravity is true. That's always a problem. I mean, think about how amazing it is that we have, you know, thousands of planes in the sky right now. Working against that gravity, I mean, with 
laser-like precision to carry people safely to and fro. Can you imagine if Delta was like, we don't believe in gravity anymore? They'd be out of business. Just because they would choose to deny something that is true doesn't mean that it suddenly becomes false to them. There are things that are clearly seen, the invisible things of the world being clearly seen. Have you ever looked at cells on a microscopic level? All of the little literally engines and pieces in there, it's amazing. Like there, there are some cells that look like they're walking. I don't, I don't know what they're called, but they, you look at one cell and you look at all the different things in there, you're like, man, my body's working right now. I literally working to keep me alive. This is amazing. Study of the eye. I learned this in, in chapel at, at Florida Bible College of Tampa. There was a man who sought to prove the, the ability of the brain when it comes to our eyesight. And he did this study. He wore a pair of glasses that flipped his vision. Okay? So he put those glasses on. First day, everything he saw was upside down. He kept them on for a certain period of time. And eventually, his brain corrected the vision so that he would see things right side up. He still has the glasses on that are flipping it. Do you remember this? Yeah, we, that, this was amazing. Yeah, I wasn't sleeping during that chapel, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. He flew an airplane with these things on, put his life in danger to prove the amazing design of the brain. Takes the glasses off, of course, what happens now? He's supposed to see right side up, but his brain has changed the processing, and now he sees upside down. I'll just give it a few days, right back to normal. That's design. You don't see how all that works. We can take images of the brain and, you know, through MRIs and EEGs, we can see what's going on in here, but man, that is the evidence of a design. I can't remember what insect it is, but there's an insect that literally helped us design Velcro in the way the little interlocking hairs on their legs would lock together. You look at a Velcro strap and somebody studied that from nature itself. Pfft. That's pretty interesting. I find that all just testimony to God being a... Boy, if, if companies could think like that, right? You can't have your iPhone for more than four years. It could explode in your pocket. Something could happen. We're still trying to beat God on you know, fossil fuels and all this types of stuff. We're like, oh, we'll just put batteries in our cars. Okay, that's cool. What, what makes the battery? Shh, shh, shh. Don't, don't look at these plants that are you know, burning more than it is to do the gas. Don't look at that. Just look at this. <laughs> Careful now. But we think we can outsmart God. You know, I've been talking about this Neuralink for a little bit. That's real, folks. They're starting to look, Elon and his little, you know, cronies out there, they're trying to figure all that out. They want to put a chip in somebody's brain. Can you imagine if there's a world where everybody has a chip like that in their brain and you have to pay for like the premium version of life or else you get ads every, you know, four hours? <laughs> I remember going to the beach several years ago and I'm sitting on the beach, I'm relaxing, and out in the ocean, there's a boat with a huge screen selling something to me. I'm like, this is nature. That should not be there. You know, you can kind of get away with the big, you know, the airplane, and it's got the big strip on it and stuff like, you know, you can save 15% or more on in car insurance. 
but I got a whole, and, and it was, and I think it was an ad for like a beer company, and it's just floating by. I'm like, man, I can't imagine that. Well, that's what man creates. Oh, this, this is good. This is a good thing. Continuing on in this verse. The things of him uh, from the creation of the world, which are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even, now you need to underline this here, his eternal power and Godhead. That's what the universe reveals. God's eternal power and the order of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are a testimony in creation that God is the one who designed these things, and he is, the, he is the supreme being. Now look at what it says here. So that they are without excuse. Now we use this verse in our evangelical circles to say, no one will be without excuse at the great white throne judgment. And that is correct. Now I want to show you some things here about what we just read, specifically about this universal revelation. But before we do that, hold your spot and go to uh, Psalm 19. Because this was written earlier, very similar line of thinking. David's writing here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, says this, The heavens declare. When you make a declaration, it's like, hey, I've got something to say. The heavens say what? They declare the glory of God, and the firmament, the sky, showeth his handiwork. Is God's work good? Oh, yeah. Go check that out. When you get it, I really think that's an important part of life. To see a, a, a sky just lit up by stars, man, that is something else. It's amazing. Verse 2, day unto day uttereth speech. Now, this is personification of an inanimate thing. You have a day that doesn't speak, but it speaks something. And night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This is very important. The universal revelation of God is not limited by language. I'm limited by language. If there was somebody who came in here tonight and spoke a different language, I could not communicate specific, I really couldn't communicate anything to them except like hand motions or, you know, trying to like, puppet something or, or, or like a very, very dull game of charades. It would not work well. But creation, you don't, need, you don't need to explain what people see. They see it with their eyes that were designed by God. This declares. And that's, that's the beauty of this writing here. Dan today utters speech. The sun's not waking up like, you know, hey, everybody, how you doing? But it screams of a creator. Night unto night. Showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The sun comes up everywhere. <laughs> it's a testimony. Look at the patience of God. Every time you see a sunrise, he's communicating his power and the Godhead. Isn't that something? You're not excited. That's okay. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Look what it says here in verse 3. Uh, verse 4. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. So the, the image, though, of those of a bridegroom and a strong man 
This is the glory and power of God in the sky itself. Now, we're not even talking about down on the earth and the miracle of life here. What we just saw outside, rain. Isn't that amazing? You don't have that for long enough. We die, folks. And we go, oh, I got my shoes wet. You know? Instead, the next time you see rain, go, wow, what a good God we have taking care of the soil here. Now look, we just made an investment in that sod, so when it rains, I'm like, praise God, right? <laughs> That's free water, amen? <laughs> but, you know, think of that. I mean, I'm, I'm even amazed by natural disasters that happen. I, I don't think that's a part of God's plan there, but it definitely is. I mean, these storms that rage, and it's amazing. You, you look at how a hurricane forms. Literally, a strong breeze in the Sahara gets just the right kick, man, and, and it turns into a Cat 5, and it's, a, it's incredible, that power. God is a designer of the elements, he thought of that. Isn't that, isn't that something? That speaks for itself. You don't need to know English to understand that. Or Spanish or French or whatever. Verse 6, His going forth is from the end of the heaven and His circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. So he's talking about the sun here. Now there's some commentators that say this psalm is a direct attack to these polytheists who worship the sun. I would say that's true. Worship the S-U-N, right? And you see that in Egypt. Go study some of the things that they did in Egypt. In the Mayan culture, when it wouldn't rain, they sacrificed children. That's, that's taking the truth of God and holding it in unrighteousness. There's a problem there. Man, and you think there's no way. There's no way. You study that. Some of those beautiful steps in those Mayan temples, they ran with the blood of children. How do we get there? We deny God. And we go to our own ways, which are all influenced by demonic stuff, by the way. That's a whole other study for another day. But there's four things about this revelation. I want you to see that in Psalm 19, 1 through 6, and Revelation 1, 18 through 20. Here's what I want you to see about this revelation. Number one, it's clear. Everyone is aware of it. It's evident physically. You can see it. Number two, the revelation is understandable on the experiential level. It's not blocked by a language. It's, it's an experience. You see the sun. It is a testimony. You see the stars. It is a testimony. You see creation itself. It's a testimony that God has eternal power, that he is the one who created these things. Number three, this revelation has gone out to every generation. There's not one generation that had not experienced a sunrise or a sunset or lived in this creation of God. And the fourth thing is this revelation is limited in that it does not reveal everything about God, but only some things. That's important. Why is that important? Because verse 20, I think it was in, in Romans 1, says it's that his eternal power and Godhead are there. Now the Godhead is important because that includes the Son, amen? The Son died for the sins of the world. This is why John says, you cannot have the Father and deny the Son, these things are together. And he says the ones who do say you can have the Father and deny the Son, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is exactly what the devil is going to do through the man who is going to be called the Antichrist. I don't think we get that. 
Can you imagine if someone entered into the independent party for the 2024 election and said, vote for me because I am God? They would be laughed off the stage. Matter of fact, I think in this, this very progressive culture that we're in, you'd try to incriminate that person. But there's coming a time, folks, where there will be a man who stands in that third temple and say, says, I'm God, and people will obey him. Isn't that something? We're not that far away. We're not there yet, but you can see how that could happen, especially with all this artificial intelligence. You know how many people that's putting out of a job right now? There's a real, there's a real epidemic of work that's going to be stolen by artificial intelligence. You're talking about Skynets in grocery stores where all you have to do is walk in, walk out, and they'll just scan the RFID that's coming out of your phone. They already had that stuff in Seattle for a long time. These Amazon stores, they partner with Whole Foods. You walk in, take your phone, scan it. You go and buy stuff. As stuff comes off the shelf, it passes by a little laser uh, identified to your account. You walk out, it scans your basket. You scan your phone, you're charged, you're out. Not a single person running that place. Isn't that a little creepy? <laughs> so how... Could you see artificial intelligence, virtual reality playing a part in the image that everybody sees and worships? We have the technology today. Right now, I could go out of this slide and go to a live, live stream of somewhere in Tokyo. I could watch. It's, it's, it's incredible. We're connected in this world, so we'll see how that can happen. But this revelation is limited in that it talks about his eternal power and Godhead, but this is where the specific revelation comes in. Look in chapter... 19 of uh, Psalms and look in verse 7. Now we just spent six verses talking about the universal revelation of God. There's no language issue, none of that. But verse 7 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Why is the psalmist transitioning from the sun, S-U-N, giving witness. The firmament being God's handiwork. Why is he going to the law now? Because the universal revelation of God does not reveal all the things in his special revelation. That's through his word. Notice what is said here in the very beginning of verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's not really good and it has that one part in it that we don't go to it's fully complete to the ability look at what it says converting the soul that has to that there is nothing else that that can mean except death to life now to john 5 24 we're going to look at that hold your spot here go to john 5 24 take note in your mind what was just said there the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. John 5.24 says this. Oh, I get excited about this stuff. This is just so good. 11.21, page 11.21, verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's the converting of the soul. That is not revealed in the stars. That is revealed in God's Word. And when you take that Word, you commit it to memory, and you speak the truth of it to somebody else, 
God is working through you to bring praise, honor, and glory in those who trust Christ. Amen? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. Man, created in Christ Jesus. The only way a soul is converted from death into life is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, folks. And that's revealed in God's word. You know, I think it's interesting that if you study New Age, and that's a huge category, there's a lot of different stuff in there. I think it's interesting when you study New Age, a lot of worship of nature, a lot of it. I mean, and a lot of use of nature too. Using mushrooms and all sorts of stuff to bring about these psychedelic demonic experiences. If you wonder where I stand on that, I just told you. It's all demonic. But it's interesting that they worship the creation of God, but they do it in the truth of unrighteousness, or excuse me, in the way of unrighteousness and ungodliness. How is the new age sinner, how is their soul converted? How do they go from death unto life? They heed to the revelation in God's word that life comes through the Son. That's how they experience that transition from death unto life. They put their trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and paid for their sins. They're now converted. And so will so will the holy of eternity say, God's word is good. That's never passing away. My little piece of property, that's going to be gone. Everything that I could accumulate here, gone. The word will never pass away, amen? So I want to live in that thrust. I want to, put, I want to plant my flag there and let God figure everything else out. Amen? So go back now, leave John 5, and go back to Psalm 19, verse 7. That second part, the testimony of the Lord is sure. This is secure. It's, it's almost like the illustration of a mountain climber, free climbing. He needs a sure spot to put his hook so he can lift up his weight and plant his foot. Word of God is sure in that way. Making wise the simple. Now the simple are the ones who lack knowledge, but now they're described as wise. Why? What what changed? They got the word. The statutes, by the way, law, testimony, statutes, we're talking about the word here. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. Don't you like it when someone does right by you? That's a good thing. Well, the Word of God does right. It brings rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. There's no mixture of light and darkness in it. Look what it says. Enlightening the eyes. You get enlightenment from it. Not the world's kind of enlightenment. You look at some of the philosophers that are heralded in psychology today, their enlightenment is just further down into spiritual, uh, excuse me, into depravity. (coughs) Scary stuff. I read a book in college called Machine or Man. It was by Dr. Henry Patino, who's an FBC grad. And he went through and just went to the logical conclusion of atheists. And basically he says, now no, no shallow atheist will say that this is true. But he basically says an atheist has no morals. They, they, they could slay a child and there'd be no problem. They are the stronger one over that child. There'd be no problem with that. Because who's to say it's wrong? 
The whole thing is you survive. Self-preservation. That's not enlightenment that I want. <laughs> Can you imagine? But that's what people say is good today. Now this revelation here, continue on in verse 9. The fear of the Lord, this is reverential respect of the Lord, is clean. I really like that word clean. It's good. Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much more, uh, excuse me, than much fine gold. What's the difference between gold and fine gold? Gold has some impurities in it. Fine gold, the impurities have been burned out. It's a better product. Yea, a sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Now, we just moved a, quite a bit off of this idea of special revelation, but what David is saying is, it's better to have this than just the creation evidence that bears witness, but we also have God's revealed words through the prophets. So let me give you these quick points on this specific revelation. This revelation is perfect. There's no error in it. It has the power to, cons uh, to convert a soul from death to life. This can only refer to salvation, which is in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This revelation is right, which brings joy and wisdom to people. And this revelation is clean, which makes it eternally pure. It proceeds, it, excuse me, it produces a pure fear or reverential respect of the Lord. Remember what we studied this morning. Perfect love casts out fear. We, that's why when it says the fear of the Lord is beginning the knowledge, that's not we're afraid of that he will consume us. There is peace and confidence and a holy respect for God as we walk according to what he says is right. But we know that we can only walk in that way because we've been born again, which is by the Son. That's the best place to be. That is the eye of the storm, all calm. But then there's man's response. So go back to Romans. And this is where if we were doing the discussion on the reprobate man and all that stuff, we would continue deeper into this. But I just want to look at a few verses here in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. <coughs> Excuse me. So they're without excuse, invisible things, creation of the world clearly seen, being understood. I want you to make sure you note that <coughs> it's all understood. It's all understood. But look at 21. Because that when they knew God, remember, they're not going to have an excuse, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That is the best description of our nature. It is totally destitute of doing anything right. And I think it's interesting, every year we see a further outcry of this belief in our society. It's everywhere. It's everywhere and in everything. We're talking about kids' shows that are pushing gender theory. It's a kids' show. Why is that a part of the script? You know why. We're not thankful. Man is vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I love art. I love the creative process. I think it's a part of how we were designed. But isn't it interesting that most art has a demonic undertone today? 
I mean, sinister things. I saw a piece of art that literally looked like somebody was just, you know, taking a brush and, and, you know, swinging it around. It's worth millions of dollars, probably because there's drugs and money laundering involved. But anyway, they interviewed the artist. And when that artist was interviewed and said their process as they painted this picture, they said, I was in touch with my inner demon. And this was my thrashing about as, as, as he revealed things to me. And that's considered worthy of display. That, the imagination, man, goes crazy against God in that nature. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You see this on college campuses today. I got no problem with college as long as it's Bible college, amen? amen. <laughs> Seriously, though, I saw this on a college campus. People are being asked basic questions. And it's just like, you can almost see the buffering. And they don't know the answer. But hey, they can hold a sign and say all sorts of wicked, despicable things. People are being taught what to think, not how to think. Look at verse 23. Well, sorry. Highlight there, 22. They became fools, but they professed themselves to have wisdom. Look at 23. And changed... Now, this is where I want you to link. And changed, I want you to link that to 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Link it to this statement. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. There was a change. Man took what was true and they changed it into something that was a lie. And they pushed the lie. They pushed the lie. Sell, sell, sell the lie. And we're, we're, buying it, we're buying it at the highest price. Why is that? Because man is unrighteous. That's why. Man is ungodly in every turn and attempt. But I think that's a great connection. They change the glory of the uncorruptible God, the uncorruptible God, his eternal power and Godhead. You need to link that to what was already said in 20 and made it to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Go do a study. I would strongly encourage you on Britannica. It's a good website. You can look at about four articles for free, and then they're going to want to charge, charge, charge. But I don't really trust Wikipedia that much, but you could probably go there too. <clears throat> but you study biblical idols. Just type that in. Biblical idols or idolatry in the Bible. And you look at what man said is God. It always, every time, is a mix of animal and man. Every time. There's not just one guy that stands alone. Nimrod is maybe the one person. But every other case, he's got the torso of a horse or the head of a, uh, of a, of a uh, bull, whatever it may be, there's some type of twisting of God's creation into this horrific monster. Verse 24, wherefore, oh, no, we're not going to go that far because that opens another discussion there. But the closing there in 23, I, I think is really interesting because Paul, he probably saw this every day, especially in Gentile 
in Grecian, um, or excuse me, in Roman culture. Saw this all the time. Go study Greek mythology, and it's just perverse stuff. Don't go study it. <laughs> it's, I mean, you, you, and th- then you see how the Catholic Church kind of just adopted that stuff. Uh oh. We've got to explain that another day. But there's some really interesting correlations between the saints and Greek mythology. <laughs> Pretty interesting stuff. You should check that out. But the note here, as we're closing, is what man did with the truth is they not only changed it, but they sold it as something completely different. And that's where we are today. But then we didn't just get here today. It's been this way for a long time. I think the first change of it happened with the devil. You will not surely die. Well, they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually that day. And so did all of mankind from that point forward. Interesting stuff. The universal revelation, the specific revelation, and man's natural response. Understanding that is going to help you understand what a reprobate is. And you'll have to be here in 2024 to hear the rest of that. <laughs> you can close your Bibles. I think this stuff is it's fun. Love that kind of Bible study where it's just like, mm, 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 mm. we just look at these, these little verses and references here. You can do this kind of study. You know, I, I don't want you to think, well, Jesse has a Bible education and that's why I can't do that. You can. You totally can. Just... I tell people, what's the, you know, people will ask, what's the difference between devotional and academic study? Devotional, probably don't want a pencil in your hand. You just want to let the word say what it says. Scholastic academic study is, I mean, it's, it's grammar study. It's a word study. What does this word mean? Why is it used here? It's understanding the setting. You'll love the book of Acts. You'll love it. It reads like a play. And it's how God rolled out the gospel to the world. When you understand all four of the gospels speak of, of, of Jesus Christ in four different aspects, it's like, it's like unlocking stuff. But when you let somebody else do the study for you, that's just fast food. Okay? You can get the ingredients and you can make your own meal. And the word want, the, the Holy Spirit in you wants you to study the word leading and guiding you in all truth. That just doesn't happen supernaturally. It's here in the Word. So be a student of the Word. But that kind of study we did tonight, I do that every day. I sit in my office, and I do study like this, and it's the best thing ever. I am so blessed. I really am. Don't take this for granted. I love studying God's Word, man. It's just like fresh air. It's great. I love coffee. I love the smell of it. When somebody's making it and I'm at their house, I'm like, God bless you. You really know, you know. <laughs> I look at the word the same way. It's, it's just refreshing. Because, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you're not here tonight hanging on your eternal life because I said something. Amen? God said it first. So we should know what he said. All right. How can you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? Look up here and I'll tell you. This will represent what we all have, sin. We hold the truth of God and unrighteousness. We are sinners. This hand represents you, me, and everybody in the whole world. We're separated from God because of our sin. God, He loves us, but this sin causes separation. If we were to pay for it, you'd have to spend an eternity in hell forever separated from God. There's no amount of good works that could pay for this sin. Somebody has to die. This hand will represent 
the Son of God, Jesus Christ. What Jesus did is he came and he paid for this sin for you by dying on the cross, which shed his blood. He was buried and he rose again three days later. He paid for sin. The problem is you need to have that payment that he made applied to your account. A lot of people think, well, if I do good works, I'll get that payment. No, no. You can't do any good works. There are no works that are good in the eyes of God. That's why Jesus had to die. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. There's salvation. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, just so there is more clarity here, everlasting life. So you receive everlasting life, which means this is paid for, by simply believing on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that what he did on the cross and his resurrection was for you. That it was for your sin. And that's how you experience permanent salvation. Dr. Lindstrom had one of, a CD that I have still had requests to make copies of. How permanent is your salvation? I like that word, permanent. That is a good definition of our eternal life. Amen? We're saved forever. And that happens by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody looking around. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I walked in here tonight trusting myself, my good deeds, to get to heaven. I thought I'd be good enough, but maybe you're here and you say, I'm not good enough. I may be good in, in man's eyes, but I fail the test of righteousness. In God's eyes, I'm not perfect. Well, you can get right with God tonight by simply putting your trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who shed His blood, was buried and rose again to pay for your sin. The moment you do that, the Bible says, you are now a child of God. You are eternally secured. Your sin is paid. You are saved. If you're here tonight and that makes sense for the first time and you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, please let me know by a raised hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know and I'll pray for you. If you're on the internet, you can leave a comment and we'll reach out to you. We've got some great material to help you grow in this new Christian life. But you're a child of God forever now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're going to face a lot of scrutiny name-calling, shaming, because you stick to the Word of God. You just keep sticking to the Word of God. Amen? You keep reading the Word. You keep studying and doing what it says. And let God take care of those who come against us. But no, you've got a great book here to study. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for Your love that was shown to us at Calvary and that we see every day. Thank you for creation. How beautiful it is to look in nature and see your design. And Lord, we yearn for heaven. We can't wait to see what it's like there. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.